There is a prayer that Yeshua, Jesus, taught his disciples to pray. And I want to submit to you that this is the most important prayer in all of the Bible, but perhaps the most underrated. Like many things, when we've heard it along a lot and it becomes like all the news to us, something so overly familiar that we start discounting it or making it less important in our lives without even fully realizing that. Today, we would like to do a line by line look at the Lord's Prayer, the prayer of Yeshua. And we're going to look at why did he tell us, teach us to pray in this way? And today, Christina is going to be joining me here for this. Um, Can you share with us just the prayer and then we can Mm kind of like dig into that. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Now let's dig into it. Let's dissect it. Let's see what is really in here. And I want us to start in Matthew 6 verse 5 where Yeshua gives it and it say he says this when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly i say to you they have received their reward but when you pray go into your room shut the door pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you i think this is very important You know, we see him speaking and he's saying, first off, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. You need to have your prayers be in secret. And the reason why, of course, Yeshua says this is, is what is your motive? Like he, when he says, don't do it like the hypocrites, he adds so that they, they do what they do so that they can be seen. Mm. Their motive is for their self exaltation and self glorification instead of simply glorifying God. And so Yeshua comes right down to the root. Where is your heart? Mm. What is your motive? But does this then mean that we're not allowed to ever pray in any public setting, right? Is that what Yeshua is talking about? Yeah, absolutely not. Again, it comes back down to the motive. What is your heart intention? And rather, it is better to have your quiet time with the Father in that quiet place, that secret place like Yeshua Mm -hmm. talks about. Don't do it in public just so you can be seen in public. But also, of course, there's a place to pray in public, to pray for others, to pray for the stranger. Exactly. We see Yeshua's ministry was very public, right? He went out and he he healed the sick and he did all these things in front of even big crowds Mm -hmm. for the glorification of the Father. But then he went and separated himself to be alone with the Father in private in his secret place. And that's what we need to have. We need to have a ministry that is that is both going to be public to a degree and that we're going to glorify the Father with by our works uh, that are inspired by His Spirit and led by His Spirit. But then at the same time, we're going to draw back from that and then we're going to be in private with the Father. But if our, if our whole relationship with the Father is just based off public things and we didn't have any private relationship, it's like if I had a relationship 
as as I do have a relationship with, with Christina, right? And if our relationship was merely there to be a public relationship, but there is no actual solid relationship yeah, no happening, substance. <laughs> no, no substance happening, you know, behind closed doors, then that relationship would not be even existing and real. We see now he goes on in Matthew 6 verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I think this is not just something that the Gentiles or the pagans can fall into, by the way. I think that when we, what, what, what can start happening is that we start relying on how we say. In other words, for example, he uses the term empty phrases or many words. In other words, the phrases that you use are there to be to sound nice, to sound religious. But we, if we start relying on our on on our works, on on how formal and beautiful it can sound, or how long it can sound, we are no longer relying on the one who we are praying to. And so this is why he's saying the Father knows already what your needs are before you even come to Him with them. So. When you come, speak to him in that light that he knows. I remember, like, I'm sure we all can relate with when you are in a prayer circle and you're up next and you're like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to say? Everyone else has said everything that can be said already. And their prayer sounded so amazing, so, like, holy, so, like, authentic. And I don't have anything cool to say. Um, so you're, like, sweating bullets. I know I've been there anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... It can easily be a thing we fall into, like, what am I going to say that sounds mm. like I know what I'm talking about? Like, I have that really powerful relationship with God. What mm. can I say? But again, what can I say so that when I'm heard by others, I seem holy? What is our motive? It's yeah. a conversation with God. If when it comes to your place in the prayer circle and all you are able to say from your heart is, Father, I love you so much, and that's all, that's fine. If it's coming from that place of your love for him and let the words flow out. But also, of course, building up that prayer time with him, mm. going to him, that helps, yeah. spending time with him, because then it becomes so much more mm -hmm. fluid and comfortable because you do do it often. I mean, imagine if you don't speak to someone except for once or twice a year. When you go to speak to that person, it's kind of like, well, I don't know what to say. It's awkward. But if you speak to that person all the time, no problemo. <laughs> right. There's lots to talk about. Right. So I, th I think that what we see is that Yeshua's warning against praying to impress, mm. to impress others about how nice you're or long or whatever your prayer is, or even to try and use that as leverage of God to to because what God is looking at, he's looking at a pure heart, a humble heart um, who is going to be someone who trusts in the Lord. And that's what we should be showing him, not just a reliance on these other things. All right. So it's a really a beautiful principle that I think means a lot for all of us. Um, next, I want to read to you the next verse in verse nine. He says, and this is how he then says, pray then like this. And he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right. So I think that we see a few things here. First, he is addressing God. And he's saying father, right? So he's addressing him as his father. And I think that's key. Um, this is a, something very different in our faith is that 
our father in heaven has come to show up as our father. And there's a father, son, father, daughter relationship that he wants us to to look to to perceive him as to perceive him as our father when we come to him in prayer, not just as this impersonal God who doesn't really care or does or, or who's too big for our prayers, but as a father you can come to. Right. I mean, and that's something that is so beautiful about our relationship with with our king, with our father, with God, in comparison to other religions that have, well, maybe many gods, but gods that demand things that they fear, gods that are cruel, gods that are or that are just like humans and they have their own issues. But this relationship we have with our God is he loves us like sons and daughters. He is a father. We can come to him just like, you know, our earthly parents. We can come to them at any time and say, Father, I need help in this situation or this thing's going on. We have that direct access and that relationship with him, mm. which is amazing because, I mean, he is the king of creation, the creator of all things, and yet he desires to have a relationship with us. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. What is man, as the psalmist says, that you even think of us, but how excellent is your name in all the earth? Absolutely. And that brings us to the next line. He says, hallowed be your name. Right. So this speaks to his name being lifted high by us, that in our lives and in the lives of the fellowships we attend and everywhere thing we do and, and we're a part of, let your name be holy there. It speaks to not just the prayer we speak, but the responsibility we have when we pray that, that we need to make his name um, consecrated in our lives. And that is, number one, how we treat other people, because how they perceive us is how they will perceive God, in many cases, they will judge the God we say we represent based off how we come and how we present ourselves. Whether you like it or not, you are an ambassador and you need to represent him well because other people, whether that's fair or not, will will judge how they perceive him based off your actions. Right. I mean, this ties into the conversations that have been had before of how do we keep his name holy? How do we respect his name? How do we not take his name in vain? And you know, there's lots of different conversations that have been had about this, different pronunciations and all of that. But it really boils down to, most importantly of all things, is how are you representing him? to others are you misrepresenting his character are you misrepresenting who he is in the way you speak like you mentioned in your actions in your life because when people see you and they see that in a sense you have god's name that you are a christian you are a believer oh so that's how christians act oh so that's what believers do and that is taking god's name in vain that's misrepresenting his holiness and that's important to remember. How are we caring for his name? How are we bearing his name? I mean, also in just relation to hallowed be your name, holy is your name. You know, in the scriptures, it talks about how the angels and the saints are singing continuously, holy, holy, holy are you Lord God of hosts. But if we hope to one day, you know, be before him in his kingdom to be able to join and sing, holy, holy, holy are you Lord. 
are we not and should we not be trying right now to live holy, holy, holy? How can we be planning to sing holy, holy then if we don't even want to try living holy, holy now? And of course, we have in his word, he tells us how to walk out in a holy way following his example. Absolutely. Uh, I'd like for us to think about how we can represent him best. And that is to ultimately walk as he walked, Mm -hmm. be holy as he is holy. So uh, the next one we want to look at is verse 10 of Matthew 6. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is interesting because we can read this, right, and think about this prayer as something we want God to do. And of course, prayer is uh, something that we are asking often, God, can you do this? Can you do that for me or for whatever? However, I actually think that the weight of this line very much it has it speaks to our responsibility because he's saying, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that kind of talk is really speaking about the promised Holy Spirit that God sent us, right? Yeshua said, I'm going to ascend so that the Holy Spirit can descend upon you. He is going to empower you to become the light of the world. You are going to be able by the Holy Spirit to, in effect, bring a piece of that garden presence of the Lord down on earth so that other people can can experience him, can encounter him through you, your life, your temple that God will work through to touch others. And so, when he is speaking about your kingdom come, it's really a call to us to ensure that we are letting the Holy Spirit come through us. That is, on earth, he can come as it is in heaven through us as his vessels. That is his desire. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about what we're talking about here, we just spoke about Jacob's ladder in a teaching a week or so ago, where Jacob's ladder, his vision Uh, was really all about this, how Yeshua is the ladder by which heaven can meet earth and earth can meet heaven. But it also requires us to surrender. Like he says, your will be done, not my will be done. We have our own ambitions, our own doctrines, worldviews, things that maybe we've grown up with or that make sense to our rational minds as humans. Mm. But in the end, it has to always be that we have open hands and saying, Father, your will be done. It doesn't have to make sense. But Father, I want to be in your will, whatever that is. Father, lead me, guide me, show me your truth so that I can walk in it. Mm. Amen. Mm. This brings us to our next part. Yeshua then goes and he says, give us this day our daily bread. And this speech is really connecting with a lot of his other teachings to us regarding how we should be trusting the father with all of our needs. Do not worry about what you will wear or what you will eat and so forth, because as God even clothes the lilies and look looks after sparrows who do not think about tomorrow in the same ways that we often do and get worried about. Nevertheless, he does provide for them. And so uh, I, I think that also not only is it t- us telling us and reminding us to pray for God to help us trust him to meet our needs, but it also uh, speaks about how we need a relationship with him. You see, why do we pray, give us the day our daily bread, if Yeshua already said we shouldn't worry about that? 
You see, there is a he's telling us to pray this, even though we know we shouldn't be worrying about that. And then God already said he would provide for us. But it speaks to how we need to have this in our relationship with the father, how a true provision from the father comes to those who have a relationship, including a prayer life. And that we recognize that he is the one who provides our bread, who provides you know, finances, who provides our needs, you know, our wants in many cases too, but he's the one who provides. It is not of ourselves. Dear boss, please provide me my daily paycheck so I can get my bread. Dear mm. mom and dad, please make, you know, it's, it's God in the end who is the provider, who supplies our needs and who takes care of us. And this prayer is a reminder of remember who is the one who takes care of you, who loves you. And you know, when Yeshua also, it's beautiful he refers to himself as the bread of life. And just like Israel, they receive the daily manna in the wilderness, that, that provision from the Father that I see you, I hear you, I know you, I love you, I'm providing for you. Yeshua is also our daily bread. And are we going to him to be filled with him? You know, the scripture says that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. So if you are feeling empty in your life and your spiritual walk, like, you know, where's God? I feel empty. I feel just flat spiritually have you gone to yeshua have you had that time with him that quiet prayer time have you gone with open hands so that you can be filled or have you come so full of yourself that it's hard to be filled with him absolutely so it, like i said it all speaks about how important that relationship with yeshua is mm. and that relationship with yeshua can really be hurt when we have unforgiveness in our hearts mm. And that's exactly why the very next line of this prayer is verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, right? So he goes to tell us how important this is in verse 14, because he goes on to say, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. So there's a massive importance here that he is demonstrating. He is literally saying that how you treat others in this way of whether you forgive them or hold on to bitterness will be determining how the father views you, your sins, your mistakes, which which are many. Right. We have many issues. It reminds me of the parable that Yeshua gave of the unforgiving servant, you know, the servant that he had a debt and he went to the king or the master and he's like, oh my goodness, I can't pay this debt. Please forgive me. And the master, the king was like, you know what? Okay, you know what? I forgive you. You don't have to pay this debt. The servant's like, okay, wonderful. Yay. <laughs> then the servant goes off to someone who owed him a debt and he's like, pay me everything right now. I demand it of you. And the other person was begging, no, please give me time. Please have grace and mercy on me. But that unforgiving servant refused to forgive someone else. And when the king and the master overheard it, he demanded that unforgiving servant to pay everything he owed. There is an importance of us extending the same forgiveness, grace and mercy that God extends towards us, towards others. I mean, think about it. Our sin, we minimize our own sin, but we are very quick to point the finger at someone else's right. sin, right? We're very quick to not see the plank in our own eye, but to see the speck in someone else's eye. But we need to remember how great our sin is and how great his compassion and his mercy that he sent his son to take the curse, the punishment that we rightly deserve for our sin. And he died in our place. 
he took our debts upon himself. And the grace and the compassion that he showed us, should we not show to others? Mm. And a, a lot of that hindrance that comes in with forgiving others mm. often has just this root of anger and hatred in that person's heart. Like if you're struggling to forgive, um, it's sometimes that anger towards what that person has done to you that's just so great. It, it becomes Im almost impossible you feel to forgive them. But I also want to remind you what Yeshua said regarding anger, because I think it's also underrated in some ways, because he talks about in Matthew 5, 21, you've heard it said, do not murder, right? We all know murder is wrong. But he says in verse 22, I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. If you insult your brother, liable to the, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So he's talking about how serious he sees it when we have this anger, this judgment towards our brother, even if our brother has wronged us, because God, like Christina said earlier, because God has forgiven us, because God has shown us uh, unrelenting compassion mm -hmm. and mercy, in the same way we must treat others, because otherwise how can we expect our Father to treat us with right. mercy and compassion. And it also reminds me of the verse where it says that it is because the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is God's kindness towards us that brought us to a place of, oh my goodness, please forgive me, Father, because I see your love for me. And we're very quick to want to hit and bash people over the head with whatever truth or understanding that we've come to understand and as we've grown in our relationship with God, but yet it is the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. And we need to also walk in that as he has shown that to us. Yeah, I will say though, some people have, I've heard this, maybe you guys have as well, but some people have said, well, you know, when Yeshua said all this, he says, if you're angry with your brother, well, this person is not my brother, so that doesn't apply. Now, let me just say this, um, whoever you're angry with, you're not gonna consider your brother. <laughs> Okay, exactly. that's kind of the whole thing that we go by in our minds and how it works, because you're angry at them, so you don't call, consider them your brother. When Yeshua said your brother, he is not talking about who you consider your brother. He is talking about who Yeshua considers your brother and who Yeshua, who God considers your brother, is your brothers and sisters who are made, who, who have the same father, who is the Father in heaven who made all of us, no matter what you think about what they've done, they are your brother, they are your sister, and they are the ones whom you need to be careful about harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards. And of course, we see this in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where it's not the, the priest or the scribe who is the one who is brotherly, but my goodness, the enemy, it's the Samaritan. Basically, she was making the point that, you know what? <clears throat> excuse me, your enemy is also your brother. Samaritans and Israelites, they had a whole long, mm. hectic history, but yet they are our brother, our sister, and are we loving them? That person that you disagree with very strongly on some theological concept, um, doctrine, whatever that is, which by the way, the, the Israelites and the Samaritans had very strong mm. and big differences theologically, but yet they are our brother and sister. Are we loving them like Yeshua loves us? Mm, absolutely. So, when you think about the, that dilemma, uh, I think it's important to remember just like uh, God said in the scriptures that it's the kindness of God that mm. 
draws us to repentance in the same way it is when we show kindness to those who do not deserve it that we oftentimes can cause their hearts to be drawn to repentance and change and wonder what is it about this person that they have mercy on me Mm -hmm. even though i have been mean to them or i've betrayed them that turning the other cheek has an effect on people because it's something they absolutely never expect and it's something that can only be empowered by the holy spirit of god himself yeshua said god forgive them for they do not know what they do when we are lost in our sin we behave as sinful people and yet while we were still sinners the scripture says that yeshua died for us while we were still in utter rejection and rebellion hatred towards god mm-hmm. that's when yeshua had such great love that he laid down his life on our behalf and you know scripture says that we will be known by our fruits no matter what someone has done we will stand before him and be known by our fruits do we have the fruit of love patience kindness self-control <laughs> when to speak when not to speak and how to say it absolutely so uh, i think that this this last part this last Mm -hmm. line is very important then he goes and he says verse 13 and then lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil this is the last line in this prayer uh probably my favorite and probably it's kind of like it's going to go well with that saying last but not least in that it's i think one of the most important lines in this prayer. Maybe that's perhaps why he kept it for last. Because I have found in my own life and in ministering to others that incorporating the Lord's Prayer in the desire to be set free, to be delivered from sin, temptations, and things that we struggle with is an extremely powerful and underrated tool, if you will. Uh, God Yeshua has taught us to to speak this out, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil as a means of uh, rounding up the spiritual realm, God's power, his kingdom to assist us in overcoming the temptations that we can face with sin and so forth. And so I would encourage anyone who's struggling with an addiction or a sin, maybe you get angry a lot, maybe it's whatever, but incorporate this prayer in your life and start see how start to see how the lord comes to deliver you and you know when yeshua was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by the enemy what did yeshua do you know yeshua responded with for it is written for it is written when you have god's word which scripture says his word is like a sword dividing between the bone and the marrow when we have his word in our hearts that we can respond with for it is written like Yeshua did because it is God's word, his truth that overcomes the darkness. And like we have that Paul wrote, you know, putting on the armor of God. We've heard about it. We've sung it as our in our kids' Sunday schools or our kids' classes, the armor of God. And like the Lord's Prayer, it can become like, okay, yeah, the armor of God, that's a cute little thing. But lest we forget how important it is because we are in a battle. We know this, but it's important to be reminded we are in a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces and there are demonic powers out there, just like we have our heavenly father and the supernatural realm. We need to be 
well armored with his armor. We need to put on the, the shield and the, the sword and the belt and the breastplate and the shoes so that we can be ready to face when the enemy comes at us with his darts so that we can respond as Yeshua did. For it is written. Absolutely. And I guess in conclusion, what I think we all need to think about is what did all of these verses that we just read have in common? And one thing that I at least noticed is a lot of it has to do with something that we don't always consider in our prayers, whether the Lord's Prayer or just our our own prayers. And that is that sometimes we pray as a means of getting from God and asking and requesting things of the Lord. Nothing wrong with requesting something from God in prayer, absolutely. But sometimes that's it. Instead of what we see here is a, yes, there is a asking God to do things. But when you look at the, when you break it down, you notice that with each and every one of these lines, it's also about reinforcing our responsibility in that area that we are praying for. So for example, we are talking, Yeshua told us how to pray about making sure that we hallow his name, that we do forgive, that we trust God, right? So there are these things that we are asking God to help us in these things, but we have a responsibility for that. And so sometimes prayers will be answered easier, if I may say it that way, if we actually pick up our responsibility, because he did say, seek first the kingdom and the rest will be added to you. So when you say seek first the kingdom, there's action there. There's a you need to not just it's and seeking is not just asking. It's action. It's actually going and and incorporating repentance in your life and incorporating change in your life, changing the way you think and live, renewing of the mind. And with all of that now, God can come and use us, can come and bless us in ways he may not have been able as before because we may have stood in his way to an extent. Because sometimes the best thing that God can do is to not answer our prayer, because sometimes what we ask for is something that we're not ready for. And so it's important for us to ask God to ready us as well for what we are really asking him to come and do in our life. And like, you know, I was mentioned earlier to come to him with open hands and surrender. He has that living sacrifice like Paul talks about, that Father, rid me of anything of myself that would stand in your way. Anything that I hold up in some way, maybe even in an idolatry, you know, as an idol in my life. Father, tear that down. I don't want anything to get in the way of your will and your desire for me. Um, We would really encourage you to take a deeper and even more serious look than the Lord's Prayer than you may have been before. And yeah, we'll see you guys in the next video. Many blessings and shalom. Shalom. If this video has blessed you, subscribe to this channel, like this video, share it with your friends. And we want to say a special thank you to our partners who've made this video possible. Shalom.